All right, everybody, welcome back in to the Robin Stew Show here on the Pulse Sports Network. Remember, like and subscribe. We are on the YouTubes. We are wherever you get your podcasts. Tell a friend. Help out the pirate ship. Let's keep it going. Last week, if you missed it, talking SEC football with SEC Mike. Go check that out. Uh, some wild claims about LSU. We'll see how that pans out. Um, we're back to what we do, though. We're back to degeneracy. It's summer. We're talking animals running in circles, specifically horses. It's Belmont Stakes weekend, uh, one of the best weekends of racing in all of all of the seasonal card, I think, I, between Friday and Saturday. Uh, Roberto and I have done our due diligence. We got a packed show for you coming up. Mike Maloney talking Belmont Stakes. David Aragona, young man from New York, trying to make a name for himself. We'll invite him on, see how he does uh, after giving out a 23-1 to winner that Rob couldn't cash, but that's another story. Uh, Roberto, uh, before I introduce our first guest, though, um, any words about Kyle Schwarber? <laughs> Uh, he's hitting over 165. Anywhere, so any, anything you want to say? I'm about not Kyle gonna, Schwarber. I'm not gonna curse him this week, but just, I mean, the Phillies stink. I mean, they're lucky they played, they're lucky they're playing the Bobby Tigers. But <laughs> you know, our deal, you know, our deal, we're one game away. Uh, you cannot say anything negative about the Phillies if they sweep the Tigers. If they sweep the Tigers, I'm not allowed to say anything negative. If I want to, Trey Turner, stealing money, war criminal. You, you didn't hear it here, but, you know, whatever. He'll, he'll, he'll get better. I, I did hear a rumor, an innuendo, that Trey Turner uh, was actually supporting ISIS in Syria in 2017. That's what I heard. That's a rumor I heard on Twitter. <laughs> I mean, it's just, I mean, this guy, this is a gun in the ski mask the way he's playing. I mean. This is horrible. I mean, this is – look at some of these contracts around baseball. Look at DeGrom today. I mean, he's having Tommy John surgery. The Rangers just pissed away $72 million. You know, the Mets are paying Lindor $300-something million. The guy can't hit above 220. Gets booed off the field Saturday in New York. I mean, Trey Turner right now, absolutely. And some of these contracts in baseball – see, Nick's lucky. Nick's an Astros fan. They draft well. They actually know how to run a farm system. Uh, when you're fans like me and still of just teams that just overspend in free agency, the hobby biases of the world, it's it's tough. How dare you? That's assault. And and bringing our good friend Nick Tamro back on the show, catch him in the money uh, players podcast. He's he's out there with our boy PTF. Um, you're doing uh, Sam Houston race caller, morning line odds maker at Keen. I mean, what what don't you do? Except root for a uh, good baseball team. Your thoughts, Nick? Root for a fine, upstanding team, right? Made up of gentlemen. Uh, <laughs> no, we, you know, the Astros have been bitten by the uh, the free agency uh, bug, I guess you could say, a little bit too, because we shelled out some money for Jose Abreu, and that's not gone well. And one of their other uh, offseason signings was Rafael Montero, whose ERA is above six now after he was a good setup man through much of the playoffs last year. But yeah, it's uh, they also committed five years, 85 million to Lance McCullers two years ago. And he is like uh, his Tommy John seems to be taking three years to recover from. So, yeah, yeah. yeah. but I mean, I will admit 
I did I did chuckle a little bit at the DeGrom news today, as I'm sure you did as well, Rob, being a, <laughs> being a Phillies fan and being an Astros fan and the Rangers giving him all that money. I was like, yeah, you got what you deserved. Yeah, it was amazing. I mean, it was funny. Well, one thing funny about the Mets fans, like, they'd always be in your face with DeGrom, like, oh, we have the best pitcher in baseball. It's like, okay, you know, yeah, they, they do. I mean, he is. I, I, I said it today. I mean, he's more, probably one of the best pitchers in the last 25 years. Yeah. But it was amazing when he left for Texas, and Philadelphia is a lot like this too. When, when you get psychotic sports cities and, like, people that obsess, like myself, or, you know, New York fans. Which Mets fans New York fight a lot. I'll a lot say this. Stay. Mets fans are known historically as very reserved, very calm. Sports <laughs> yeah, fans. Oh, yeah. Very rational. Yeah. yeah. But they, they do enjoy sodium, though, Rob. Yeah. I did oh, yeah. hear that. Yeah, they love the sodium and salt and extra salt on their prime but ribs. He got dragged by most of the fan base. They couldn't stand that he went to Texas you know, they thought he was just cashing in on a payday, but now it's amazing. Like they have a really good offense, the Rangers. I, I, I think they're pitching. Yeah. They'll finally come back to earth maybe at some point, but their lineup right now is just, it's mashing. No, they're hitting it a ton. I'll tell you, there's something funny too about New York because, and, and maybe it's the, it, well, the Yankee fans are no different, but there's like this mind meld that playing in New York puts on everybody. So I was listening, you know, obviously I drive home from the track on Friday and Saturday night at, you know, 1130 at night. And so I put on the Buster only podcast last week and, and Carl Ravitch was on and he asked Buster only asked Carl Ravitch who the best, if you had one pitcher in baseball right now to choose to start a game, who would it be? And, you know, of course, I mean, I'm biased, but I would say Fromber Valdez because Fromber's been nails in the playoffs and, you know, he's, he's pitched great this year. And, uh, and Carl Ravage said Verlander and I'm like, Verlander, <laughs> Verlander. Verlander. Oh. I mean, and I'm not, terrible I'm, I'm not, a, I'm not a Verlander hater by any means. I'm, I'm glad that he found a free agency home, but it's like, really? That's yeah. probably not in the top 10 for me. No, absolutely not. Nick Tamro says Justin Verlander overrated shouldn't make the Hall of Fame. Uh, <laughs> no, more no, on no. that later. No, should make the Hall of Fame in a Tiger's cap. Okay, thank you. You yeah. saved yourself there. There's I was still there's still an investigation you. going on as to how that team that had him and Price and Scherzer got swept. This is this has turned into assault. <laughs> uh, this is let, let, let's get into the horses. This is this is a gang uh, beat down here. <laughs> Uh, Robin, I didn't even coordinate this. I know you guys are you. you no offense, and I say this lovingly. You're you're both scumbags. <laughs> lovingly, I say that. New York Stakes Friday race number eight mile and a quarter on the green stuff. Uh, the Chad Brown Open, uh, and it's nice of them to invite some other folks into this. Should be exciting. Uh, I'll lead it off with Nikki the Boss at. NTAM1215 on your Twitter machine. Google him. Take his thoughts. Use what he says because he's a lot smarter than us when it comes to picking horses. Nicholas, Miguel, Banchero, Tamro, lead us off. Yeah. So, you know, Chad's obviously had a lock on this race for quite some time. And interestingly, he's running four horses in here and doesn't have one of the top three choices. So on the morning line, at least, I think when all is said and done, 
market segmentation could go off a little shorter than than her morning line odds. But uh, the reason why that happens, of course, is because of Warlike Goddess, who, you know, everybody in the that, that follows the game, at least to some extent, is pretty familiar with. She's been a remarkably consistent mayor over the uh, last couple of years, including, you know, winning multiple grade ones and route to uh, to the Breeders' Cup turf try against males last year. You know, the interesting thing that that Bill Mott had to decide was what to do in terms of a summer objective. She's not necessarily been in one piece at this time of year in the past. He's given her some time off or she wasn't quite ready. So he's, he's going here, but it's only a mile and a quarter. And the concern is, is will she get her engine cranked in time at a mile and a quarter? Now, you almost wonder if Joel put her into the race a little bit more last time with the idea that, hey, you know, by the end of the year for the Breeders' Cup, that's going to be a mile and a quarter if she goes against females. So let's see if she can, you know, can run a little bit earlier. And she did, and she did it successfully. So she's clearly the horse to beat. There's uh, no doubt about that in my mind. I think the pace will be decent enough. Um, I don't think it's going to be scorching by any means, but I do think you'll have market segmentation up there. I think Didier will be relatively close. Um, Flirting Bridge looks like she's got a little tactical speed as well. You know, they, they never fly in a race like this at a mile and a quarter, but it feels like it'll be honestly run. And, you know, the horse that I'm most interested in outside of Warlike Goddess is market segmentation. So it's going to mainly be four and seven for me, but I'll press a few extra tickets with just the seven because I do think the Warlike Goddess might just be better than these horses. I'm with Nick on market segmentation. I know that that name probably just... I just put you in a in a freaking uh, suitcase, Rob. I know. Oh, you, you know sit, me. You were you know sitting me there. My jersey. An M, yeah, my jersey a, accent. Breaking that out, uh, Roberto. Are you going with anything outside of what me and Nick like here? Uh, I tell you, I kind of like the two a little bit. Uh, one of Chad's Phillies. It's funny, like Nick mentioned, he really doesn't have a killer in here. You know, he kind of just. It's what is the name of the him. two horse, Rob? Yeah, forget it. Forget about me trying to. No, I just what well, just for the listeners <laughs> that don't have the PP. I'll just call her Sarah for this podcast. That that eight to That's one not the name of the Lady horse, but okay. Yeah, so I'm going to take a little shot on her. I thought she was a little wide. The Churchill race, uh, you know, draws back down to the inside. Honestly, you know, like Nick said, Warlike Goddess is really hard to bet against. Now this is an odd angle, but you know, right now maybe this will lead to a little bit more of a discussion. Rosario just seems like. Like we were talking at the beginning of the show, a Trey Turner, a Lindor. This guy just seems to me to be in a funk. I don't know what it is watching him. Um, you know, I, I just think he's – I don't know if he's in his own head. His riding right now has just come into question when you watch a lot of these races. I, I just don't think he's on his A game. Not that you're never going to not bet a horse because of a jockey, but I think if you were looking for an odd angle, I mean, Rosario right now is just – I don't know. I, to me, he's not on his A game. And I'm not – like one of these jockey critiquing people, obviously, at you know, pushing uh, 280. So, you know, obviously I'm no jockey expert, but, uh, you know, I, I don't know. He's just, to me, he's riding really bad right now. Yeah, he struggled in 2023 20, uh, so far. Um, I mean, 12%. You're talking about a guy that probably has a, a lifetime win percentage in the upper, upper teens, if not 20. So I do think he's ridden a little bit better at Belmont. Um, I know there are people who would disagree with that, but, you know, that's also made up a lot of the Twitter police that base everything on the last thing they saw. So, you know, I know he took some heat for that ride on Far Bridge the other day. He really didn't do anything wrong on Far Bridge. That horse is very hard to ride. So, 
Um, yeah, Rosario is about 18% lifetime. Um, so yeah, I, I, I hear you. I don't, I don't. And the other problem is that, look, this is a horse that he butchered once before too, right? He blew the flower bowl on this horse last year at a mile and three eighths. And, you know, the thing about that race is that that was a particularly slow paced race. And, you know, I don't think this pace is going to be that slow, but a mile and a quarter for her, he's got to get her going and, and he's got to get her into the other thing too, is they'll take the rail down to Belmont on after Thursday's card. So we've seen this race in years past play out very favorably for horses with inside trips. And so, you know, hopefully he'll be able to get her into a comfortable spot, but he's got to get her out at the quarter pole and give her as much time as possible to start running, especially if they haven't gotten that quickly. And, you know, Joel can give you a little heart attack when it comes to getting into position at the right time. Oh, yeah. Now you're right on Farbridge, Doss. I will say that. I mean, I think, I don't know, a lot of people on Twitter were really criticizing the ride. And I don't know, to me, I just think, like you said, that horse, he's a funky horse. I mean, he looked like he was dead coming around that turn. I said, this, he's not even going to get a check here. I mean, and then all of a sudden he kicked it back into the inside. I, I think he's a little overrated, though, that horse. I, I don't know your feelings. I think he's a nice horse, but I don't know. The price he's and overrated. then switch it from Clement to Fletcher with a turf horse. I, that's not really, I don't know. I thought it was an odd move. He's a rail rat also, right? I mean, he if you look, he only runs when he can see the inside. And, you know, there are horses like that. Sometimes horses become that as they get older. But usually the odd thing is that they usually are more comfortable when they can see the rail, but they'll still run when they're close to the rail. That horse seems like he only runs when he can see the rail. Yeah. So it's a it's a big problem because, you know, it's tough to make up ground coming from uh, from way off of it needing to be inside as well. You're talking about really having to to find a needle in a haystack. Yeah, they Alan Jerkins, they say, used to always say, like, in a turf race, the winner won and the seven other people behind him should have won the race. I mean, that's like exactly. everybody yeah. in the turf race always has the excuse. That's why the fields are big, right? Trainers can tell yeah, that's right. they yeah. lost by a length. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> oh, they always have the excuses. Oh, you always. know that. Let's head over race number nine, the Acorn Stakes, a mile and a 16th for the ladies on the brown stuff they call dirt roberto uh what horse is not going to win that you think will well if this was pimico i'd have to bet Brittany russell because she doesn't lose uh at pimico maybe now ship it to new york be a little bit of a different story um i tell you i was shocked in the eight bells when money's gold got beat i i thought i thought she was a cinch that day like everybody else i was shocked she lost that race um you know, Todd, to me, is always interesting with these Phillies, especially the younger ones. I mean, you know, his speed horses a lot of the time will be okay. But I think when they start to get beat, I, I don't know. Not that it's a knock on Fletcher, but when his speed horses sometimes, when they show, they lapse a little bit, especially the Phillies, because he's harder on a horse. And I, I don't know. I When his Phillies start to go the other way, I don't know. I, I'm, not, I'm not a fan of Muddy's Gold here. If she's going to win, I'll let her beat me. Um, I tell you, at a price, I, I really do. And maybe I shouldn't say a price, but uh, the two for Chad Brown. Uh, you know, I watched her race when she brought when she raced in her maiden at Saratoga. I thought she was pretty decent that day. You know, Chad horses really don't show a lot of speed usually in their first race. She showed a little speed, got tired. Uh, I loved her comeback race when he stretched her out to a mile. Uh, Chad, to me, when he has a little bit of a layoff with a horse and he can point like he does in the Preakness or for certain races on the turf. I think he's dangerous like that. I think he's been prepping this Philly all spring. 
She's my best bet on Friday. I love her at five to one. What What is the uh, name of that two horse rub? Randomized. Randomized. You heard it here first, folks. Randomized. <laughs> the two horse. That's Roberto's best bet. Randomized. I, 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 I love this Philly on Friday. Okay. Uh, Nick, do you also like randomized or do you like another here? Randomized. So. <laughs> Ran- randomized. Right. Random, randomized. Yeah. No, I'll just I don't have much of an argument against randomized. I guess my biggest worry is that the, uh, the Philly that was second to her last time out is kind of a career maiden type. Didn't come back and run particularly well, but it wasn't the slop. So, you know, the, my, so I have, a, I have a hard time reading these types because, when you get into the situation she did last time out where she dominated on the front end and now she's in a race where, I mean, quite honestly, it looks like a long shot that she's going to get the lead. She could still find her way into a very good stalking trip. You know, you wonder if maybe you're, you're trading out a lot of, uh, you know, of bullets in the holster by putting her in a position where she's not dictating terms to everybody else. Now, what I will say about that is that for a Chad Brown horse with this kind of profile, I wouldn't want her at two to one, but a five to one, it's a different conversation. So I think you're, and I think you'll get every bit of that price wise, because I mean, I imagine the public is going to be, is going to be pretty hot and heavy on money's gold. Um, you know, my, my concern with money's gold going into her last race was I felt like Todd Pletcher was very deliberate in terms of how he campaigned her going into Derby weekend. And I wonder if she's a Philly who needs Lasix. That's my concern because she ran significantly worse than she had in her other three starts last time out without Lasix. So that's still a worry. And of course, if you're talking about a, a horse that needs that may need Lasix and you're you're going an extra distance, I don't want her. So mm-hmm. I'm going to use Pretty Mischievous. I'm going to use um, a little bit of Darth Vader. I'm going to use Randomized probably as a backup. And I'm going to use a seed. I'm going to be deep here because I'm going to single in the Belmont Gold Cup, which we'll talk about in a minute. Um, so it'll be it'll be one of have to be one of those four for me. But the two prominent ones are going to be pretty mischievous and Darth Vader. I thought pretty mischievous ran really well in the Oaks. I I don't have a a knock whatsoever. You know she always traveled comfortably. You kind of knew coming towards the quarter pole the way Tyler was in the saddle. Like hey he's got a lot of horse under him and she really feels like she's going to get the best of the setup in here. There's a ton of speed and I'm figuring he's just going to drop back and and let her make one run. The reason why I respect Darth Vader so much is because. Because I, I felt like she ran in a sneaky way, kind of a really good race in the Oaks as well, where she was always close. She never really gave up. The other pace horses got obliterated. Now she's with George Weaver. I still think a mile and a 16th is far for her. I think she's probably better at a mile or less. But the one turn could be a thing, right? Her her Devona Dale was so good around one turn. And I mean, in terms of thoroughgraph figure and buyer, um, time form US, she's right in range with everybody if she runs that race. So that's why I want to give her a little consideration as well. Would you know how much I I mean, I'm just asking you off topic, how much that eclipse paid for Frosty O'Toole off of Mike Deeney? I don't. I don't. I'm guessing. I mean, some I, of the, I'd have to guess somewhere in like the 300 range, right? I would think so. To put her in a race like this. Yeah, I'd say probably she's a she's a Philly that doesn't look like she's got much pedigree. Um, so she's, you know, she, she's got some residual value being a Philly coming off an allowance win. I'd say probably no less than three, no more than probably in the neighborhood of as much as a half a million. Yeah, I just thought she was. Yeah. I mean. For them to make that purchase, I mean, no knock against Mike Dean. He's a Mammoth Pork trainer. Um, 
you know, a guy like Fletcher gets into her hands and, you know, she has one start there. He probably only had her a month, I mean, you know, about two, three weeks, sits yeah. on her a little bit. Now she comes back off a two month layoff. I mean, not to say I kind of, I'm, I'm going to probably use her a little bit underneath just at a price. I think getting a spot underneath is right in her wheelhouse because she's going to sit back and make one run. And, you know, that was why I tweeted today about where is wet paint. You know, she'd be she'd be the favorite in this race, um, given the way it unfolds on paper. Yeah, it's a good point. I'm surprised she didn't go. I'm I'm with Nick here. I'm I'm more along the lines of six, eight. And I, I think I'm I'm hemming and hawing on how much I want to include a cult in here. I I. I, f I feel like this is a horse, Nick, where it's like you. there's moments where you see the talent. I don't know that the numbers certainly match up. You can say maybe pace compromised a little bit in the gazelle. But if this is a decent pace, I, I think this one can rate a little bit. Same mentality thought with the eight, the seed there. Um I, I feel like this race is going to be one from off the pace. And, and I, I just want to trust somebody who I know is going to be coming off. <coughs> yeah. You know, Cole was my like sneaky Oaks horse coming into the gazelle because I thought that everybody else had kind of become exposed and, and we knew that they really, none of them were really all that great anyway. And I thought, you know, everybody's sleeping on Ocult. She ran really well in the, in the Busanda and she was just awful last time i don't know what the hell happened but you know it was almost a too bad to be believed kind of performance and i've forgiven horses with that type of, of running line in the past um i just wish she had been a little bit better before that then i'd be willing to say hey look throw out her last because if she runs back to two back then then she can definitely win but if she runs back to two back she can't win you know, speed figure wise, she'll have to improve probably eight to 10 points there, you know, but, but that Busanda looks a lot better when you figure gambling girl was second and she nearly won the Oaks and affirmative lady won a golf stream in her next start. So, I mean, that race looked like a dud when it happened, but you know, it was really looking better as we got towards the gazelle. And then again, she just, you know, she just kind of flopped. So I don't, I don't blame you running style wise. She looks to fit the profile. Big purchase also. I mean, that's, that's one of my favorite things about getting a race for him. I mean, if you ever want to be a horse owner, just look at some of the price tags. It's Chad incredible. had one Saturday at Monmouth in the last race. I, I can't think of the figure. It was up in the six or sevens, and it was down in a maiden 10 claim. Where it's like, oh, man, you just <laughs> the joys yeah. of uh, owning racehorses. It's just amazing. And look at look at Mage. He cost virtually nothing. Yeah, absolutely. You never know. Well, they say he had something with his mouth, right, that a lot of the – a lot of the Something like that, like yeah. Sale, yeah, some kind of overbite. All right, let's head to my favorite race of Friday. As always, the Belmont Gold Cup going two miles. Two miles along the green stuff. Uh, Nick, which European horse are you singling here? Yeah, I mean, I hate to be a chalk-eating weasel, but Siskini is like a total cinch in this race. I mean, he's he's running. First of all, he's running against four jumpers and a bunch of American horses that have no business going two miles. And and the only other European horse is is from Joey O'Brien's yard, which I mean, I'm a I'm a huge Joseph O'Brien fan. And uh, I still I still think to myself, I have no idea how that kid was a jockey when he walked by me in the paddock at Santa Anita to 2014 Breeders' Cup. And we're the same height. And um, but but anyway, that horse, by definition, he's he's just a. He's a hurdler, and um, I really don't know if on the flat 
he can even be all that competitive. I think Joey's trying to get a free trip over. So yeah, Siskiny is Siskiny's like a real, a real marathoner, um, a horse that ran very well in Dubai at two miles, lost to Broom. You know, Broom was one of the choices in the uh in multiple stakes races over here over the last couple of years. Actually ran a good second in the Breeders' Cup turf behind your beer in 2021. So I'm expecting Siskiny to be extremely tough to beat. All right, Nick. Yeah, Cameron and he also says... drew well. And he also drew well to me with that inside post. I mean, that's the only thing I said think sometimes. I know it's a two-mile race, post-position draw is probably overrated, but I kind of like when them favorites have an inside draw, get right, right to the rail, save some ground. I don't know. I think it bodes well for them. Uh, I thought it was interesting, Channel Maker, just to switch back to uh, Saez. Not that I'm a big jockey guy, even though I brought it up in two different races. You're so you're already, absolutely but... a big jockey guy. I don't yeah, know why yeah. you would I don't say know. that. Going, going back to him, uh, I, I don't know. It, like you said, coming up with a price in, <laughs> in this race is pretty tough. Uh, you know, maybe, maybe the Grand Motion on the outside, the Gray Wizard. Yeah, that was a pretty impressive race at Keeneland. I mean, Grand Motion, I always think, picks the spots well in, in these kind of races. Like, I don't ever think he's the kind of guy that, that just brings horses to race him. I mean, he's, you know, he's not going to bring a 90-to-1 shot into the race. He's, a, you know, great turf trainer, obviously. Um, you know, knows how to get him ready without the Lasix. I mean, that's another big thing in this race is, you know, we talk about it all the time in these stakes races. I mean, with the no Lasix, it's hard to judge sometimes. I mean, these European horses, that was a huge thing years ago. I mean, Bobby Frankel, Lick, I mean, they would bring them over there first time Lasix. That would improve them oh, horses yeah. like nothing. And, you know, without the Lasix now, it's it's definitely changed. And, you know, Heises went into effect now. So it's just, it's it, it's definitely tough handicapping these races. It's It's not easy. Yeah, I agree completely. And, you know, the other thing about this race that is worth noting is that there have been multiple runnings of it where the paces have gotten pretty fast. And in fact, I think it was last year, it may have been the year that Ahmad won the race. I, the group that I'm always at the Belmont with, we were we were sitting there and, and somebody said, well, they're way too far behind. And they were going down the backstretch the, the second time. And I said, there's a lot of horse race left. Like there's there's over five furlongs left when you're halfway down the backstretch of Belmont, where, you know, halfway down the backstretch of virtually any other track in the country, you're around four furlongs left. So, yeah, it gets you can get very tired very quickly. And the last year, the race completely came apart uh, as well. Oh, you can see yeah, Tide of the Sea is going to blitz this field and at one point is going to look like Secretariat. Um, because I feel like the four is going to just absolutely gun it and just go straight to the front, open up an 18th leg length lead, and then somewhere around race number two that it's trying to run, uh, is going to get hit by Oswald from the book depository. This would also yeah. have to be the first time, too, right? A horse prepped at Turf Paradise for the uh. New York mile with the uh, nine Tartini. The best, the best story about the Asta La Vista at turf paradise was the year. The guy thought that it was over and he's pumping and driving with a furlong to go. And his horse is up by 15 or 20 and he crosses the wire and he salutes the crowd and he's standing high in the saddle. And he realized by the time they hit the turn, they've got to go around again. <laughs> and, um, and so by the time he does, I mean, right. He's shot <coughs> done. So yeah, I noticed that. That the uh, the prep for the, the prep for the Belmont Gold Cup truly is the Hasta La Vista. <laughs> <laughs> All 
I'll right. tell you what, I'm, not a bad horse to own, though. They picked him up for 25000 at Del Mar last September. That's oof, nice claim. It was a good claim. He had a nice winter, no doubt about it. He's. Uh, I'll tell you, I don't really think that there, it's out of the realm of possibility that he runs third in this race either. Yeah. Listen for uh, what is the purse? Two million. This one, I think it's. I think it's four. Oh, I'm sorry. No, two hundred fifty thousand. What am I thinking? Two million. That's cute. worth a shot. That's what Trey Turner earned tonight in his at bats. Yeah, uh, that's right. In their but, one nothing win. Yeah, it, it, huge win. Big win. Um. Please put me out of my misery. All right, race 11, let's finish it. Intercontinental stakes. Uh, great former champions of this race, such as Kurt Henning, Bret Hart. You know the drill. Real big winners. Uh, Roberto, I know you have some crazy idea here, so what do you like? I, I want to ask Nick his opinion on one thing, and it's not just the race, but his gambling strategy. You know, I have such a hard time, even though, you know, all the years at the track, the race, you know, going through everything. These turf sprints are just sometimes in these races, even the stakes races on bigger days. I, I just seem like these, these turf sprints that they put me in an absolute pickle. Do you have a certain strategy you go with? Like you just like I always try to stick usually with speed. I can't stand closers in a, in a sprinting turf race. You know, maybe if the race sets up perfect for one, but I, I don't know. I have such a hard time with turf sprints. Yeah, I'm with you. There's something that I've definitely not mastered by any means. Um, I I definitely do, like you said, and I try to shy away from uh, from deep, deep closers. Uh, you know, I think you also have to treat them all very differently, right? I mean, five at Del Mar or five at Pimlico, five and a half at Churchill, five and a half at Saratoga, six at Belmont. Six at Belmont is a very honest race, in my opinion. You You're going to get a, a good pace. Generally, you're going to have enough time for the closers to unleash their rally. So I, I find myself generally trending towards speed types, but I'm not scared to take one coming from a little bit, maybe a little bit farther back at six at Belmont, especially at seven. At seven, I have no worries taking an off the pace horse whatsoever. So and, and that's an interesting part of the conversation here because this race has very little speed. Yeah, there's not much at all. I, I made a nice little hit on the three. When uh, she debuted, what's, the, at what's the name of that? That yeah, horse yeah, nice try, yeah. <laughs> no shot, okay. no shot. Me pronouncing that. It sounds a little bit too much like a body part. That we're uh, okay, yeah, about. that's a fair yeah. point, Nick. Thank yeah. you. So thank you for saving us. Yeah. We're gonna leave that one to John and Brielle. Yeah, <laughs> she was pretty good that day, though. From the outside, it was a tough post position. She draw. did. Yeah, she was dead game. I just took a shot with Graham Motion off the layoff. You know, get her in first time uh, I, I don't know what she can do in this field I just wanted to throw it out there that I did have a winner every once in a while and, and you know you got to toot your own horn you know you, you can't let it go by especially with a guy like Stu because if you give Stu a horse and it loses he's just he's never he, gonna let Nick it go. he gave me your horse Archangelo uh, a few weeks ago and then claimed it like we talked in the morning and I was like hey you know Nick made a really strong point about this. He said horse. You didn't look at the and race then he goes, form. Oh, he I goes, like Oh, today? yeah, I like that one. I like that one. <laughs> <laughs> I said she ran good. He she he ran good numbers on the sheets. Yeah. I like to play the sheets on bigger days. He had good sheet numbers coming into that race. He did. He had a he was a stick out on the sheets, and, and his time for US number was gigantic, which usually those two are are pretty close, all things considered. Um yeah, this is so this is a tough race. I you know, I think one of the two Brad Cox horses on the outside is going to win. I'm more inclined to take going good because she's going to be a better price. 
Um, I, you know, I just don't know how they're going to be ridden respectively. And my hope is that they're aggressive with going good um, because she is fast enough to clear this field pretty easily. But they were conservative with her last time. They were conservative with Bubble Rock as well. And Bubble Rock really beat her on the square. Going good had a very good trip. So, you know, I, I guess my my issue is that I think when push comes to shove, Bubble Rock just might be a much better horse. The variable there is Sarah Harper, because Sarah Harper is a filly that at one point had a ton of speed. And, you know, it's almost as if it's been trained out of her. And last time she came from deep in the pack, I mean, maybe maybe that was something that Joel Rosario came up with. But um, she, she ran very well. And, you know, I think she's dangerous here because if she improves on that effort, then she can win this race and you're going to get a good price on her as well. So, you know, mainly seven, eight for me, I'll back up with a little, little one, two, five, probably. Uh, again, I'm going to use Siskanita to kind of buoy my action on both sides of him. Yeah, you, yeah, I'm you would think of an experienced uh, Nick, guy I'm, like Johnny V. Too, I'm approaching it the same way, early. Nick. I'm approaching it the same way. Uh, with Siskini as a single, I'm I'm going to spread a little bit liberally. I hate to say this, but I actually, I actually like the three. I'm with Roberto here. Um, I I think this this horse could be very good in this race. Uh, second off the layoff for Graham. Um, Roberto, I'll let you uh, finish up before we head to break. Oh yeah, no, sorry about that. Um, I you. Know, you would think a guy like Johnny Vasquez, he likes to put, you know, when a no speed like that, an experienced rider like him, you would think he's going to have base storm right on the front in this race. You know, just put the best horse on the front end and see what happens. Like Nick said, without a lot of speed in the race, you think he should be right up there. You know, maybe bubble rock six and a half. He really doesn't show a lot of speed, but Rosario, you never really know. But for me, it's base storm in here. To, I, he's going to be my main pick. I'm going to use the three underneath a little bit, but I think Johnny V goes right to the front here. That's, that's something I didn't probably give enough consideration, but yeah, she's got plenty of speed as well. So, I mean, when she's made the lead, she's, she's run well, especially going shorter. Um, but yeah, I, I would, I would imagine he'll ride her forwardly as well. Cause I mean, everybody else is going to know that there's a shortage of speed in here too. Yeah, Absolutely. But then again, right. in New York, like we've seen, like you said, six furlongs sometimes. But in New York, you will get those races where they're going to the half, and you're like, "Well, that happens." Uh, was it Saturday or Sunday, still with the Chad Brown in the stakes race? That was yep. Sunday. No, just that was I mean, not the half. It was just that's it. Well, I'm done. Wasn't that Saturday? Was it was challenge mistake. Yeah, yeah, yeah it was Saturday. I mean, that race was over at the half. Yeah. yeah, it's it's weird who who may have singled Kalik. It's weird. It's weird who could have done such a thing. Hate to see that. Um, Nicholas, Miguel, Banchero, Tamro, thank you for joining us as always, my friend. Where you're going to be doing a lot of work this week. Um, it's it's triple crown season. It's finally winding down a little bit. You can breathe a little bit. Where are the folks going to find you and uh, your thoughts? Not only uh, more Friday thoughts, Saturday thoughts, um, thoughts in general, feelings. Where are they going to be at? Yeah, mainly in the money podcast.com and on the In the Money Media Network. I'll go on Steve Bick uh, probably Thursday and Friday to talk about the following day each day and uh, have plenty of thoughts on Twitter as well. So it'll be be a good, uh, good few days for sure. 15th no, for me in person. You're going in person. I'm going. Oh, I, awesome. I let them know it's Sam Houston. The Belmont is my trip every year that I'm not going to. 
not going to give up. And I thought this was going to be the last year in the big house um, that they were going to do construction next year, but it looks like we'll get one more in the uh, current facility before the, uh, the Belmont takes a, a hiatus potentially. So, yeah. I yeah you know what's great about the Belmont too, for people that never went, it can handle the crowds. I mean, yeah. I went to my first one in 02 or 03. What was War Emblem? We went to the War 02. Emblem. Oh, yeah. two, yeah. I mean, that was that crowd was huge that day. I mean, that was, I mean, out of the gate though, you knew it was over. He had no chance. As soon as but, he stumbled, uh, right, right. Yeah, but Bel- one thing great about Belmont, it can handle the big crowds. I mean, I went to a Breeders' Cup there in two thousand and one. You know, you can walk around. You can. Yeah. It's Belmont's awesome because there's you know plenty of room. No, it's a great facility, and I'm I'm looking forward to being back. Yeah, I was. So I've been to Triple Crown failures. I've been to Triple Crowns. It's it's any and in a year like this where there's no triple crown on the line, it's just a great day of racing, right? And the yeah, car absolutely. is consistent with that. So yeah, no, uh, no chance, no, no way I could miss it. All right. Thank you to Nick. Uh, me and Roberto will take a quick break on the flip side of this young man from New York. We're going to give him a shot. See if he works out David Aragona coming up with his thoughts on Saturday and Mike Maloney still to come. So stay tuned. Hello, everyone. This is Chris Van Dyne from North Coast Sports. You'll hear me here every week during football season with my main man, Stu, from the StuCast. And just want to let everyone know we got a lot going on at North Coast. we got Power Sweep coming up. Going to be releasing that at the end of August. And get on board for Power Sweep at ncsports.com. Definitely check out our podcast on ncsports.com. And like I said, you'll hear me every week giving out some of the best handicapping picks that you will get in the industry uh, with Stu and Bobcat every week here, as well as at North Coast Sports, ncsports.com. And we're looking forward to football season. All right, we're back after that short break. Thanks again to Nick Tamro. We, we're going to give this new guy a try. He's pretty decent. Uh, you can catch him over on DRF. Uh, he's, he's posting a ton of betting strategies, videos. Um, I, unfortunately, he got saddled. Rob, he, he you were telling me about this. He got saddled with some fake new Maryland guy that's now living in Oklahoma City. Does yeah, I think like, he's an Orioles fan. I don't know. Yeah, they they do a pretty good show. I have to give them that. You know, he seems well. D- D- David carries the show. That's well. Yeah, I mean that that goes without saying. Yeah, I it, they saddled him with it, but uh, of course, best morning line odds maker in the world, in the universe. Uh, the great David Aragona. David, thank you again for joining us. And your back must be hurting from carrying um, that that dude from Oklahoma, but. Uh, you look well. How's things? Doing pretty well. Wow, you guys are pretty hard on Craig. <laughs> He's he, a, he was very salty towards <laughs> towards me last time. He gets it right back. I'll text him. I'll text him after this and let him know. He's probably out on the bike right now. Oh, yeah. Oh, of course. 100%. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Tour, t- tour de France. He's trying <laughs> Craig has a good sense of humor and he's uh, one of the one of the nicest people I know in racing. So uh. I know we love we love our Craggy. How how are you, man? How are things? You you this has got to be like just a hellacious week. 
It's, uh, you know, it's it's not quite as bad as Derby and Preakness Week for me because I'm doing these driver races anyway. So it's just kind of getting stuff out the door a little bit earlier, but it's not, uh, you know, doing deep dives into multiple cards at once. But I mean, it's the kind of work that you love doing because this Belmont Stakes card on Saturday is just really one of the best cards that I've handicapped all year. And uh, just the star power, interesting handicapping puzzles, a lot to look forward to. You um and I think late we uh talked with Nick about the late the late portion of uh Friday's card. And that's that's some pretty um you can get pretty creative there as well. I think if anybody is on DRF and has seen your early picks, uh you do get very creative uh on Fridays, so check that out. But for Saturday, this undercard, um, you know, we'll we'll kind of jump around and I know Rob has a race in mind, but before I, I, I pitch it over to you, Roberto, I just want to ask in general, like you you are killing it every day with with the Naira races and um shout out to folks. Go check out David's uh Twitter feed and and look at his write-ups for uh Timeform US through Naira, um, leaving a lot of money on the table if you're not. But you 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 seem like you you know who these horses are sometimes like you you've just got it figured out but on days like this you're getting a lot from the midwestern circuits the west coast circuit um coming up from fairgrounds and and what have you i it did, how do you how do you is there any extra like game planning ahead of time like is it just same old same old you just treat it like normal race day or I mean, well, I appreciate you saying that, but sometimes being so familiar with the local horses, it's a double-edged sword because you develop strong opinions about them and you can almost rest on those opinions sometimes when the horses continue to run against each other. And you do want to be nimble and uh, reassess if a race is going to get bet in a different way or if circumstances change. Sometimes you have to change your opinion on a horse that maybe you didn't like in the past. And I guess one of the difficult things, but also one of the opportunities on a day like Saturday or any of these uh, cards this week at Belmont Park is you do have some of these shippers coming in and um, there's a little more work to do in figuring out who they've been running against, the quality of those races, the trajectory that they're on, the connections. But if you have an opinion on those horses, sometimes you can find opportunities there. Um, sometimes they get overbet. So uh, it's uh, definitely a little more work to be done. But I like these races because it's uh, there are more puzzle pieces to put together. Is it kind of like, hey, just uh, I'm looking at somebody new. I'm just it's something new and it kind of like it's a restart for you. Well, that's, uh, I mean, I feel like in racing, we're always kind of obsessed with the shiny new object and you kind of have to determine if you just maybe are gravitating towards a horse because it's the new face in a race. Like I think about the Manhattan on Saturday, where we've got a lot of these familiar horses that we've been seeing running in this division for a while. And then some new faces like up to the mark and uh, the Charlie Appleby duo. And you kind of want to gravitate towards these horses because they're the new faces. They also might just be the best horses in a race, but you kind of have to figure that out and determine if you're getting any sort of edge determining that when a lot of people are taking that view of the race. Absolutely. Roberto, lead us off. I, I know you got a question. Well, you know, like uh, before we get into the actual races, I have one more question for David. You know, like when Belmont changed this format, you know, years ago, the Met Mile was always on Memorial Day. You know, sometimes these stakes races were more spread out years ago, um, you know, and like anything else in racing, when Belmont changed to this day, I felt like people were like, oh, 
you know, we kind of, it's kind of taken away from other weekends, but to me as a gambler and a fan of the sport, I mean, I honestly think you could say this is like one of the top three cards all year. I mean, the way they put this together with the Belmont, I think it's just really worked out well. You know, there's so many, the old hat racing hates any kind of change. And, you know, you probably remember a lot of the pushback from people. They did not like that all the stakes races would be run on this day. But to me, I, I think it's turned out awesome. Yeah, I mean, aside from the Breeders' Cup, it really is the best day in racing um, during the main part of the season. And I think these big days, it's become... Um, uh, it makes it more of a certainty that you're going to get the stars in these races because the connections can plan on sending multiple horses to this one day of racing. And it's just the way the game has changed and evolved over the years is you have a lot of the best horses concentrated in a small number of stables. And when you have Brad Cox sending a strong contingent and other trainers from California and Kentucky, um, they can all converge on New York for this one day. And you know that there's going to be a stakes race for your horse to run in. You just tend to get uh, um, a high level of talent across the board in all of these races. Yeah, and it's really become, you know, it's funny the the average fan or somebody doesn't go to the track a lot, like I'll say to me because they know I'm a track guy and they'll be like, oh, there's really no buzz this year for the Belmont. There's no, and I'm like, oh, you're crazy. Like this undercard. I mean, I don't want to say it outshines the Belmont, but like when you're a gambler and a horse racing fan, like, the undercard is it it's even more bigger than the Belmont stakes, in my opinion. Just seeing all the other races and uh, you know, it's a great card. The the racing office did a tremendous job with this card. Yeah, there really isn't a single stakes race on Saturday that's a dud. I mean, either it's a fantastic handicapping puzzle or it's a race that has a real star in it, like some of the races earlier in the day, and we're going to see some heavy favorites. So uh, there's something to look forward to in basically every stakes they're running on Saturday. Oh, hell, even non-stakes races. I mean, you got 12 horses in the first race for Saturday. I mean, <laughs> you, you, you love to see it. You love to see it. Go ahead. It's bro. a day I have to pace myself because I'm the kind of gambler. Oh, yeah. By by the fourth race, I'm I'm calling, you know, just somewhere to donate blood, or you know, maybe I'm taking one of the wife's jewelry pieces over to uh, get it hocked for some money for the later on in the card. You hey, know plasma, I mean? plasma, keep telling yeah, you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, listen, what's another mortgage at this point? You know what I mean? But uh, I tell you, uh, yeah, I tell you, Saturday starting out in the Brooklyn handicap, one of my best plays of the day. I really love Red Run. I like to get your opinion on him. Uh, I like Maker made the claim for 50. Um, you know, obviously, this is a jump up for him. Really like the way his numbers are going. I thought he ran big last out. I always think with a guy like Maker, his horses to me are always better going long. He's just that kind of trainer, like more known for the turf, I would say. But I really like the way this horse is going with his numbers. Yeah, he definitely took a big step forward when they tried this marathon for the first time last out at Churchill. And I mean, Warren's probably going to be the favorite in this race, and he almost got him on the wire that day. Um, I thought he got a pretty good pace set up, but he might get one again here. We'll see how it shakes out. There are a few horses that could show speed in here. I agree. I think he's definitely one of the major players. Um, I slightly preferred next coming out of that same race, the Isaac Murphy, just because I thought he's the one that might've needed that start coming off the layoff. That's a big ask to go 12 furlongs on the dirt off that kind of layoff. And I mean, he was a little keen in the early stages, just faded at the end, but he had put together some big efforts going these distances at the end of last year. And he's got speed, but I don't think he's the kind of horse that needs the lead. He showed that in that stakes win at Delaware last year. So um, I gave him the edge, just thought he might take a step forward off that race. Uh, but uh, they're my top two in there. 
Yeah, another interesting horse. I mean, you're going to see a lot on horse racing Twitter be popping up if this horse wins, but collaborate first time for Ness. Uh, that's going to definitely be interesting. His statistics coming into the race. Um, so that that's definitely one to look out for too in that race. I don't really have I don't have the morning line yet up on my form. I don't know what collaborated is on the morning line. I mean, I'm I got to imagine. Okay, ten to one. Okay, well, I got to imagine he's going to take some money. You know, it is funny, Rob. You do realize like Dave made all the lines here. Right. You do real like you're talking to the guy. That's right. right. That's right. Forgot about that. Hey, well, totally Philadelphia forgot. education. What are you, what are you yeah. going to do? Yeah. What are you going to do? Um, David, I want to get your thoughts. Just I, I love the Jaipur. I, I feel like every single year that it is uh, it sucks me in every single year. Um, it looks like a field. Are, are they getting one of the starting gates from Ascot? uh for this because i mean 14 horses um obviously caravelle's coming in on just a hellacious winning streak just kind of owns these five and a half uh sprints and and one would imagine likely six furlongs is not is not crazy extra but um i, I i've seen a lot of a lot of folks already kind of taking a shot and trying to you know, take their shot against Caravelle. What, what what are the pros and cons from making them three to one? Because I feel like if three to one might be a gift and you might, that seems very reasonable to get. Yeah. I'll be interested to see because it does feel like she's one of the favorites on this card that people might want to take swings against at the same time. Like you were saying, She's coming in with quite a reputation. She's won all these races in a row. Last year's Breeders' Cup Turf Sprint winner, and it seems like she's carried that form into this year. Um, I, I will say it's not an ideal post-position draw, especially on this course with the rails back at zero feet. She's going to have to try to avoid going wide. I mean, she does have plenty of speed, but there's speed drawn to her inside. And you know, she's got that huge effort in the Breeders' Cup last year. Her surrounding performances, while they're all solid, I don't know if they're quite up to that level, and maybe she hasn't been facing the kind of competition that she's going to meet here. Granted, you could say that about a lot of horses in this race, aside from maybe Casa Creed, who's just been consistently knocking heads against the best turf horses out there. Um, but uh, this is a tall order for her. I mean, I, I understand if some might, might want to regard her as the horse to beat, but I wouldn't want to take too short a price on anybody in this race. Fair enough. Um, is there is in in a race like that when you're making the lines? Obviously, is there some is there a price point if you're going to just toss the favorite in your mind? Uh, is there something you're looking for in a race like this? Because it's hard to figure out with fourteen going six. Like, is it half the field has speed? Half the field wants to lay back. How do you kind of design that kind of race in your head when you're first looking at it, making the lines? Yeah, I mean, so, I mean, in these situations, I'll usually kind of start with the shortest prices and the longest prices. And in a race like the Jiper, when I'm setting the line, I just kind of first like knocked out the 50 and 30 to one shots that are not going to take any money in this race, pretty easy to identify. And then from there, I mean, you know, just based on the form coming in, it seems pretty clear that the top two choices are going to be Casa Creed and Caravelle in some order. Um, I've got to think that Caravelle is going to attract a lot of support. And then beyond that, I'm just trying to sort of fill in the rest 
Um, you know, there are some difficult calls, a horse like Dr. Zemf, who I'm kind of projecting is going to be a little bit of a wise guy horse in this race. So making him maybe a shorter price than his form really suggests he should be. Um, but uh, it, it's tough when you have such a big field developing an opinion about each one of these horses and how the public's going to approach them in a race like this. Uh, not easy, but uh, sometimes the, the smaller fields can be even trickier than the bigger fields, uh, funnily enough. Okay. One thing I love about Belmont, and, and we had Nick on the show yesterday, and he was right. He pointed this out. In those turf sprints at Belmont, the horses do. You know, there there is enough stretch there at Belmont. It is big enough where the closers get their chance. I always feel like Pimico and those smaller tracks, it always seems like something happens with the closers. But at Belmont, they definitely have their chance in that stretch. Yeah, I mean, Casa Creed's won this race twice in a row, and uh, he's definitely one that likes to launch from towards the back of the pack. So uh, uh, we'll, we'll see if it works out for him again. Doesn't Francesa own Casa Creed? Yeah, owns a piece. Oh, I know who I'm bad at. <laughs> um, I wanted to get to this Woody Stevens. I, I think it's the best race on the whole card, in my opinion. Um, I'm a huge fan of the outside horse, um, <clears throat> Drew's Gold. I made a big bet on him last time. Really like his numbers. Uh, I'm a sheets player on bigger days. I love to get the sheets and go through the numbers and see how they compare, um, you know, in time form. And, you know, I just like to use all kind of stuff like that. But sheets primarily on the bigger days. I really like this Drew's gold. I think he's good enough to go with these horses. Um, I'd love to get your thoughts on the Woody Stevens. Yeah, it's um... – Along with the Jiper, and probably even beyond the Jiper, just the most competitive race of the day, because um, it, it's really hard to identify who the horses to beat in this race are, unlike with Casa Creed and Caravel. Um, I mean, it's just so wide open, and I agree. I mean, for Drew's Gold, uh, he's definitely a contender, one of the fastest horses coming in. I think his I think his 123 time from your speed figure last time is the fastest number in this race. So if he can repeat that, uh, he's a major threat to win this is stuck all the way outside in that 13 post position, but maybe that's not such a negative because there's so much speed drawn in this race. Somebody who wants to be forward is not going to quite be fast enough to get forward and they're going to have to deal with a lot of kickback. Maybe that won't be as much of an issue for Drew's gold on the outside. They'll just have to cover some more ground. Um, so I view him as a contender, but this is a tough, tough race. I mean, assessing the horses coming out of the Pat Day Mile, um, I kind of think Fort Bragg might be the horse to beat in this spot because he ran so well last time. But uh, there are many other ways to go, price horses to make a case for. So uh, a really fun race to to develop some opinions and and maybe uh, catch a price. Yeah, I mean, this race is absolutely, I'd say even a horse like, you go back and watch the replay on that uh, Preakness undercard of Fort Warren. I think that was the Friday, though, of um, of Preakness weekend. But he didn't even break well. I mean, uh, John, Johnny Z from Albany had a clear break in that race. He was gone. That was a speed-favoring track that day. That was an incredible run from that horse, I thought, late. I mean, he just mowed him down like nothing. His numbers are a little weak to me. But uh, that race just visually was so impressive. I'm kind of interested in him at a price underneath, too. Yeah, I, I like Fort Warren in this race. Um, he, he's going to be a big price. There's just so many other ways to go. And, I mean, his debut for Baffert was really good. And, obviously, something didn't went wrong. He didn't train on or, for whatever reason, um, ended up in the Brittany Russell barn for these same connections. But, like you said, impressive last time. Really liked the way he ran across the wire. Seems like a horse that's going to get the seven furlongs. And one of the few in here that's actually past horses, which I think is important in a race that has so much speed. 
you know, throughout the day, there's there's some uh, absolute superstars, just horses that have owned their divisions. We talked about Caravel. We talked uh, a little bit earlier about Cody's Wish. There's a few others on the card. In, in your mind, uh, if I said, and I think I'm stealing this from Andy. I think Andy tweeted this out a few hours ago. Who's most vulnerable on Saturday as as a favorite? Who has a chance to lose their their crown or their spot at the head of the division? Oh, um, we well, we already kind of touched on it, but I'd probably say Caravel. Um, I just think that's a super tough race and a difficult pace situation for her. Um, and so I'd probably say her. I mean. I'm kind of going to steer away from the Woody Stevens because I had trouble even deciding who the favorite was. So I mean, <laughs> I, I don't know. Sure. I guess general Jim's a beatable favorite. If he even is the favorite, who knows? Yeah. Um, but uh, no, among those that seem like they're supposed to be the favorite, probably Caravel. Fair enough. And I'd be remiss. We, t- we started this show, talked a little bit about it, but the Manhattan, Obviously, and I want to point out, you, I mean, you made some very salient points last time out on um, Warren Point's last race, the Man of War that day. Uh, you and Craig, you, you, you really kind of talked me off Warren Point and switched me over to Red Knight. I was going to bet Red Knight anyway, you know, half to my horse. You know, no big deal. You know, just racking up grade ones. No big deal. But um, Ottoman Fleet just looks so good. Just like it, Ottoman Fleet might be one of the best ones, if not maybe the best. Uh, Siskin on Friday could challenge for that. That Applebee's brought over. Uh, it, how, how are you looking at that race? Because it, it it really feels like it's Charlie's to win. I I don't know. I don't know necessarily that up to the mark really beat a great uh, field uh, uh, and. Churchill for the turf classic. I'm just not, I'm not enthused about our uh, foreign older uh, turfers uh, that route right now. I feel like Charlie just kind of, if he wants to send one over and take it, he'll do it. Yeah. I mean, it, it does feel like it's probably going to be Charlie Appleby or up to the mark in this race. Um, I, I, I tend to try to beat favorites like this, but I actually think up to the mark is really good. And like really? you said, he has not faced the best competition, particularly last time that turf classic just didn't come up a strong race. But I mean, not like he was ever on the rail. He covered ground on the turns and just absolutely mowed that field down. And I mean, when you win a grade one turf race by over four, like by nearly four lengths, you're, you're really doing some running and uh, the maker's mark too back that he lost in, really no disgrace losing to Shea Pierre who looks like he's turned into a yep. monster and, and modern games who came back to win a really tough group one in Europe and arguably up to the mark should have been second in that race because felt like Irad sort of fell asleep a little bit on the far turn before getting him into high gear. And he's just been a completely different horse on the turf. And maybe the mile and a quarter is going to be a difference maker for him, but the way that he finishes, I don't really see it being a major issue. And he also has the tactical speed to be a lot closer to the pace than he's been in some of his recent starts, just given how many plotters are in this race that aren't going to be up close early. So just feels like he makes a lot of sense in here. And I mean, the Appleby runners, they're, they're both okay. 
Ottoman fleet. I, I feel like he's going to be a little overrated just because he's got such a perfect trip last time in the Fort Marcy. And at the end of the day, he was beating tie to the sea and city man who, I mean, we can knock who up to the mark beat, but you know, the, the Fort Marcy was still a cut below that. Yeah. And you know, he, he got the job done. I kind of prefer the other Appleby runner, even though he has like the less live rider on him just because Warren point, uh, just he was overbet that day in the man of war, but the trip just did not work out for him. He was wide the entire way, no cover, premature move. Um, he, he's probably better than that based on his European form. I think based on overseas form, these two are actually pretty similar. And uh, Warren Point's going to be a better price, so I kind of prefer him of the two. But um, I did view this as up to the marks race to lose. And Appleby's numbers too are, I mean, oh, you, you a, don't you dare talk runners. about Charlie. No, oh, no, listen. I'm, I'm the first one that gave you one of the Applebee winners yeah. a couple oh, of Belmont stakes ago when that horse paid $20 on the grass at Mike Smith. What was that? What was that horse's name? He was the eight. I can't think of his name. It was Belmonte. Um, was that Altica? Or maybe. Paid like $20. I gave it to Stu. He didn't bet it. Um, now, but this is, this is an interesting race. Now, I love a horse in here. He always burns me, and I'll just keep playing him, is uh, Soldier Rising. I, I always find my way to this horse. He always finds a way to either get beat or me to say, oh, next time out, this is it. This is the one. I already know I'm going to be making a win bet on him. I'm going to be using him underneath. I just I, I can't get rid of betting this horse. Uh, I like Soldier Rising. And, and funny enough, they're starting him in race two. He's going to start running in race two. <laughs> and by the time we get to it, yeah, it'll yeah, be hopefully. perfect. It's really nice what they're doing for him. Set it up. Yeah, uh, David, we got to wrap it up because um, you're a busy man. You've got more races to cap and, and write-ups to do. You're doing a whole bunch of work this week. Where can the good folks find uh, your analysis? And, and again, uh, pay attention to David's Twitter. Uh, the time form breakdowns that you give, the write-ups are absolutely freaking uh, invaluable. So I love capping and then I read your stuff and I go, Oh, I'm stupid. And then I fix it and and, I, and we make money and we all high five. So let the folks know where uh, they can see your stuff. I, I appreciate that. Um, so you can find my Naira analysis uh, on Naira.com slash time form us. I'll be writing stuff for all of these, um, you know, Thursday, Friday cards at Belmont Um on DRF.com, I'll be doing some betting strategies with Mike Beer for the Saturday card. We'll be kind of writing some analysis, putting together some tickets. Um, in addition to that, and like the video and podcast front, I'll be doing some stakes previews for DRF's YouTube channel. And of course, Craig and I will have our podcast out where we handicap the mandatory payout pick five uh, on uh, Belmont Saturday card. Yeah, that's that's one of the best horse racing podcasts out there. There's a lot of them. Um, I'd put Robin Stewart number one, but I would definitely put David <laughs> and Craig's show at number two. I mean, their show is. And you know why phenomenal. we're number one? Because we have David and Craig on the show routine. That's right. So, That's yeah, right. I mean, <laughs> it just works out. David, can't thank you enough, brother. Hopefully we can uh, steal you, kidnap you before Saratoga and uh, talk some more Naira racing, the best racing. Um, so with that, we're going to take a quick break. Mike Maloney on the flip side of this. Uh, and we're going to plan our sleepover at his house. He doesn't know about it, but it's going to be great. It's going to be awesome. So stand by and we'll be right back. 
If you like the StuCast, you might want to check out what's going on over at inthemoneypodcast.com and on the In The Money Media Network. We've got a whole bunch of podcasts devoted to horse racing from the player development side to the week in, week out gambling side to the horseman side. There's going to be a show for you. Come check us out in themoneypodcast.com and we look forward to seeing you there. All right. It's main event time and we're bringing in the closer. Uh, he is the current head of the Ellie De La Cruz fan club. He is noted Kentucky gentleman, uh, a mensch, if you will, author of betting with an edge. Cause he has an edge. He's like razor Ramon. He's, he's a razor's edge, razor sharp. Our friend, Mike Maloney, Michael, uh, how are you, my friend? It's always, it's always good. I'm very good, Stu, Rob. Uh, I, you know, I may have an edge, but it is as thin as a razor's edge. Let's, let's put it that way. <laughs> it, yeah. Well, you know, like we were saying, you know, it, right after this chat, you're, you're diving into Hawthorne. You probably need to seek some sort of treatment. Listen, what? this is the right show if you need a razor because you got two bald guys. <laughs> yeah. Put yeah, us together to and you go. have an ass. Yeah. Yeah. We, we really need to get sponsored by a razor company of some sort. Absolutely, yeah. Something. Uh, Mike, before we get into the Belmont Stakes, and I know everybody's keen to hear your thoughts, little house cleaning. Um, so we booked the Airbnb. With tickets are bought, uh, rental cars bought. Um, so you just need to start prepping the wife when a black man shows up. Are we going to put a hood on you? Possibly. Uh, we're going to Keeneland. I don't know exactly why we would put a hood on you. Uh, but it just, you know, just because it, it might be, it might come into play. Zip ties, all that good stuff. I, I may handicap better with the hood on. That's true. That well, we might keep that then. But yeah, I cannot wait. Oct late October. Um, it, it's gonna be a fun time to hang out with you and and see Lex Vegas. I hear great things from Jonathan Kenshin. Your thoughts? <laughs> you hear great things from Jonathan about what? About Lex Vegas? Lex Vegas. Yeah, Lex Vegas is all right. Like you know, I was. Uh, you guys were talking about bourbon a little bit and. Couple of my boys here, they're 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 bourbon uh, gentlemen, you know, gentlemen of, of the uh, uh, of the brown water. So they can uh, they show you around the uh, the holes in the wall where they like to partake of their See, bourbon. That's what place. we need. Now we can't show the bobcat that the bobcat, Rob. Last time we went to Boston with the bobcat, he bought a two hundred dollar. Yeah, I. I... We might either just write a letter and send it to Lexington, just apologizing in advance yeah, for this absolute. This is absolute scenes bringing this guy somewhere. I mean, he's you, you can't bring an ex green <laughs> beret anywhere nowadays. They just... when somebody tells you they're friends with Stu and they've known him a long time, you're okay. You know, okay, Stu's character is questionable, but he's not a bad guy. Appreciate you know? that, Rob. Yeah, but uh, no, Bobcat's a uh, yeah. He's he's a character. He's <laughs> It's not great. Right. It's yeah. going to be something. You're you're in for a treat for sure. It sounds like a treat. Yeah. <laughs> um, think Bud uh, at like eighteen years old. 
And that's probably what you got in a 36 year old man. Okay. So, so if we were going to the Derby, I'd have to tackle him to keep him from uh, charging the jocks room. Is that what Thank you're you. Oh, yeah. Yes. Okay. Yeah. That's, that's, I, I thought my analogy was apropos, but yes, a hundred percent. I gotcha. <laughs> so looking forward to that. And there'll be more on that when we get into college football season, we'll be, uh, that game will be spotlighted in the college football preview that week for sure. Uh, let's get to the main event, though. Belmont Stakes uh, always always seems like a race that you feel like you have a strong opinion, and then it happens, and your opinion was wrong. At least from my perspective, I don't know how you've done historically, Rob, in the race. Probably not good, just judging on your normal day to day horse racing takes. But Mike, what if? What have you historically noticed from the race? How have you historically approached uh, Belmont Stakes? You know, I've had my ups and downs too with the Belmont, um, and and I think it's I think it's a different kind of race. I don't think you can approach it exactly like the Derby or the Preakness because of the distance. Uh, it it's uh you know it's not always the fastest horse that wins the Belmont. A lot of times it's, you know, you've had horses win the Belmont like Datara. Uh, you know, you, you get some, you get some wild, seemingly wild results sometimes. And I, you know, I think it's because, because of the distance you, you know, you, you need a horse that's going to stay and that's not always easy to, to figure out who that horse is before the race. So it's, uh, you know, it, it's a, it's just a race into itself kind of, to me, I look at it differently than I look at about any other major race in the country. With with this race, I mean, obviously it starts with pace. Um, from your perspective, how, how do you think this race pace-wise in your early estimation may, may unfold? Well, when I look at the race, National Treasure seems like the horse that should be committed to the lead. You know, he, he seems to run his best race that way. Um, he's won twice in his life, both times on the front end. And Baffert is, you know, he loves to, he loves to be on the front end. Uh, Johnny V has no problem sending a horse out of there. So, uh, Cox has three. Um, I, I kind of think he may let the one tap at shoes be close, you know, maybe to, to keep the pace honest for his other two horses, but I'm not, I'm just guessing at that. So it, that's one of the things that makes the race hard for me is, is I don't see how national treasure gets really a bad trip, but he got such a perfect setup in the Preakness that, you know, you get, in my eyes, you get no value, you know, betting a horse coming off a perfect setup. And it's been my experience, even when it, when a horse comes off a perfect setup and it looks like they're going to get it again, they rarely do. So it's something about the, uh, the racing gods that they, you, you rarely see a horse get two perfect trips consecutively. So, uh, you know, even though I know he has some pace edges in here, I, I still can't get behind that national treasure. 
Yeah, what was that a few years ago when uh, Tap It Right won? Remember Rapoli? Rapoli got mad at either Castellano. Rapoli got mad at somebody. He didn't like the way they rode his horse in the race. He thought they should have went to the front, and they didn't go. Something always funky happens with the pace. I mean, look at Smarty Jones. I mean, nobody saw, you know, that that kind of pace, that hot. I mean, Stuart Elliott still kind of gets dumped over here in Philadelphia for going that hard. But to me, when you're on, you think you're on the best horse, I mean, just put him on, you know, just put him on the lead and go. You got to that point. I never had a problem with the way Stewie wrote the race, but you, you make a good point with this is a this is a strange type of race. There's always a weird result. I mean, to me, I always like to bet a grinder in a race like this at a mile and a half. Not maybe the horse with the quickest turn of foot. I mean, listen, you're always gonna have, you know, your American Pharaohs, your Secretariat's horses that were just unbelievable. Um, I always thought Real Quiet's run was unbelievable. I, I still can't believe to this day he got nailed on the wire. I thought he was home free. Uh, victory gallop with some run in the lane there. But to me, I always like the better grinding type style in this race. I, I think that's what works the best. Yeah, I totally agree with that. And I, I've thought all, all through the Triple Crown preps and the first two races in the Triple Crown that Tappet Trice would be the horse that that I would love in the Belmont because he, you know, he just, he kind of screams Belmont horse, just his style. And, and he, he, he has that kind of one pace grinding style that you're talking about. And I totally agree with that, but you know, now looking at him and, and, and watching his race in the Derby, you know, it's hard to be confident in getting behind tap at Trice at a, at a fairly short price. Because that that race, in, you know, at Churchill was just, you know, he just didn't show much run, didn't show much finish at all. Um, that's concerning. Now, he seems to be training well at Belmont. Um, Pleasure seems to be confident in him. And if he runs his race, he's, you know, he's a one of the top contenders. But I just, my my, the value player in me has a hard time taking a horse uh, off a of, off a of poor effort, uh, an unexcused effort that I from everything I can tell, at, back at a short price. So it you know it it uh, I know he I know he's capable of winning, but it, it he's a little hard to take in my eyes. Yeah, he uh, just had no run in that Derby, right? Like he was dead coming to the you know to the three quarters there. You could just tell he had nothing. I mean, he was just. All out and done. I love this Tampa Bay Derby. I thought that was really impressive. He got off to a bad start that day. That's another thing with this horse. Out of the gate, he's usually not the sharpest. He doesn't have the cleanest brakes. He's hard to handle. Um, I'll say the one thing for him. Blazing Sevens did come back and run a huge race in the Preakness, and he couldn't even get close to him in the bluegrass. So maybe that bodes well for him. But uh, I, I agree with you. He's really hard to take off of that Derby. I mean, to me – even though Pletcher's probably top five trainers of all time, I mean, his derbies always make me nervous. I, I don't, I'm not a big fan of his derby, his track record in the derby, but the Belmont is something that's big to them, obviously, a New York based guy. Um, you know, he's had rags to riches, he's had plenty of success. Uh, we were just talking about the other ones after, right? I mean, he's had plenty of success in the Belmont, but uh, I, I agree with you there. That he was tough to take in that race because. You know, he didn't have a terrible trip in the Derby, and boy, he just had nothing that day. 
Yeah, he he's a horse that in my in my horizontal wagers, I'm going to have to use him just because I know his best race can win it. But uh, I have a hard time like making him my key vertically, like, you know, keying him in the exactus or the tries because I, I just don't, I don't trust him off the last race. What, what are you, what are your, uh, uh, what's your guy's opinion about Forte? I, I'll start. I am nervous. And and that is only because the horse in the trainings in the morning session you see some bobbling going on. I I also kind of think that you know seeing Pletcher's reaction Derby morning when when Forte got scratched felt like if you read that he he's like the horse is sound it's ready to go so you know if the horse is sound they were always going to point towards the Belmont. And if that's the goal, it's almost like you have to have to absolutely use them. But I, I don't, I, I, I'm going to use them very defensively. That's my position. Yeah. And that, that, that's kind of the way I feel because I, you know, he's a lot like Tabitha Trice. He's a, a completely different kind of horse, but in it, betting wise, Forte seems like a horse that you know his best race can win it, but he could also not show up at all. You know, he, uh, a couple of uh, comments I've heard about the way that he's training, uh, you know, they haven't been impressed with with some of his training. So, I, you know, I just uh, – um, I'm on the fence with him too. I just don't have a strong opinion about it. I, I think that was the best show, Derby Week, was that Saturday morning, you know, getting, I got a couple texts at like 5 a.m. that uh, I, I don't think they're going to let him run. And then following that Kentucky based reporter who was on the backside, I can't forget the guy's name now, but just all the drama in the barn and, you know, being the person before that's owned horses and I worked in the horses when I was younger, like I, I've seen that feeling before where you obviously not a Kentucky Derby, but like, these guys put all their all their work is into this, you know, all the money, the breeding, the groom, Pletcher. I mean, it just Rapoli's <laughs> face. I mean, there's no bigger disappointment when the vets and the vets are having that meeting. I, I swear it almost looked like they played it out for TV. And like the vets are huddling with each other. And, you know, Pletcher, like I was just saying, I mean, this is one of the best horsemen ever. I, I really don't think he'd put a horse in that he didn't think at least is you know, even all these horses, right? None of them are usually 100% sound. I mean, thoroughbred horses, if you ever see how skinny their legs are and how fast they have to go, I mean, they're the kind of horses you come in one morning, they're sound, you come in the next day and there's an issue. I mean, there's just, they're hard horses to keep sound. I mean, look how fast they have to go. And even that's a time for a different conversation, the breeding, the way that's went, you know, just how smaller build they are, some of them uh, with their legs now. But um, just watching that play out there every morning in their faces. But I will say one thing for him to come back in this race, you know, they could have all summer. Now he could wait and, you know, run in the half score, run in the gym bandy, get ready for the Travers. Travers is their big thing. Obviously I think for him to come back and put him in this Belmont, you know, I think it's a little bit of redemption for them too, that, you know, they, they really wanted him to race at Churchill. And I think he's out to prove a point Todd that, you know, we were right. We knew what we were doing. We would never put a horse in that kind of thing. So I, 
I, I don't know. That's just my opinion on it. I, I honestly, everything I've heard is that they were always going to skip the Preakness and they were mm-hmm. going to point towards Belmont. So I, I think that gives a little bit more confidence. To me, Forte's a little bit higher than Tappet Trice, but both are defensive uses. But, it you know, again, it's hard for me to figure out exactly who I want to pick. And oddly enough, I'm I'm looking at Arcangelo, the number three, uh, a horse I gave Rob, uh, you know, very famously. Um, you know, also, I like a horse later on in the card, Secretariat. Well, I'll get to that next time. <laughs> but Archangelo, there's only <laughs> not many races in the book, but massive jumps each time. I'm That's a, a cause for pause. But if you look at that Peter Pan closing into slow fractions, doing so with a time form figure that is actually, I think the highest or second highest in the field behind Angel of Empire. Uh, This horse looks like it could be really something. And at eight to one, um, you have to think that the pace is going to set up nicely. To me, this would be my key horse is Archangel. Mike, I'd love to hear your thoughts on, on the three. Well, Rob told me to never agree with one of your picks, but I'm afraid <laughs> I'm going to have to go against Rob's advice here. And, you and... hate to see it. We're, we're going to light a candle for you at church. When we're we're going to just call it Mike's pick. Still, we won't even, we won't even. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I didn't that. say the three. I didn't say the three. Yeah. I, and I don't, you know, I don't love the horse, but this race is so confusing to me and and I can I can find uh, something I don't like about all the legitimate contenders so uh in that case you're supposed to take a price right that's what you told me Stu so uh I'm, I read it in a book one time <laughs> I, I I think you know value wise the the only horse that uh you know that would offer any value in here would be Archangelo I I you know I uh He's improving, lightly raced. Um, if he, you know, if he moves forward one more time off that last race, off the Peter Pan, uh, that would put him right there with these horses. Uh, and I, you know, I'm. We haven't mentioned Angel of Empire, but uh, I think that might be my main exacta box. Just maybe trying to get those two together and and uh, press them up a little bit in the picks. Is there a worry with Angel about, of, oh, I'm sorry, go ahead. Go ahead uh, sorry. Is there a worry with Angel of Empire? Because I know historically the book on the Belmont is you want to be close. It's not a race that necessarily lends itself to closers. And and I, I think for me, my main worry is that Pratt is going to have them a little bit too far back. Certainly can hit the board for sure. A hundred and and almost that that could be a key horse as well if you're playing the uh, the verticals. Um, but I, I I that that's my main concern. I worry. And and once again, I agree with what you're saying. I that's my main concern also. He Cox is is putting the blinkers on, and I heard Cox say that that Pratt the jockey recommended to put the blinkers on after the derby. Uh, so that's telling me that, you know, that Pratt may have, uh, you know, may want the horse to be more, a little more uh, forward early. So um, 
in, in Pratt's very good about, you know, when, uh, when there's a lot of uh, tugging and slow pace action at, uh, in New York, he's one of the guys that's not afraid to, to send into that and, and get a little position. So, you know, I, the horse hasn't shown that on his PPs. Uh, if he could be mid pack, you know, that would be, that would be great. Um, but I, if I had to pick one horse to key around in tries, I believe it would be Angel of Empire. I think he's the most consistent, reliable horse in the race. He's definitely the lunch pail type horse of this race, isn't he? I mean, he always brings his game. Sometimes you always think with blinkers like the rider, like you would think there, Pratt's thinking, well, maybe he likes to hang a little bit. But, I mean, the move he made in the Arkansas Derby, he went by them like they were standing still. I thought last time it was just a matter of he. I thought he got the perfect setup. To be honest with you, I just thought Castellano he saved the ground, right? He kind of. I don't want to say he outrode him because Pratt's a great rider. I don't really think he made a mistake. He just Castellano got the jump on him, and you know that was the race. It will be interesting with the blinkers. Um, I wanted to get your opinion. We were talking about Archangelo. When you're doing your handicapping and you have a three year old like this, like you were saying, he's lightly raced, right? He comes in off of that. Uh, he comes into that Peter Pan, only coming off three maiden races, where he had finally won his last time out in his second career outing. He did go up against Kings Barn, who, you know, looked legit coming into the Derby. Obviously, got crushed in that early pace and quit. But in the Peter Pan, to me, the horse looked loaded during the mile. I thought he was a winner, going to be easily. And the Cox horse fought him all the way to the wire. He got real game down near the wire, and he got up by a head. A big effort for this horse. When you see a lightly raced horse with a big effort like that, are are you the kind of, you know, when you're doing your handicapping, is something that you'll knock going into his next race that he'll bounce a little bit, or you think they can usually come back with that kind of effort? You know, that's a great question. I, I, I think it depends on the horse. And, and if he were a, a, a horse that had more races or a, a horse that may be a little older that had a, a grinding uh, stretch duel like that, it definitely can take it out of him sometimes. But I think this horse is still learning and moving forward. You know, he runs faster every time he runs. Uh, his, his last race, to you know, that probably – uh, will help in his development because that was the first time he'd ever been in a dog fight. You know, that's the first time he'd ever, ever had to re-break and respond to a challenge late in a race. So, uh, you know, he handled it the right way. I think Bishop Bishop's Bay is a really nice colt. colt. So, uh, you know, I, I, I thought he was impressive, Archangelo, the way, the way he did it, uh, it, he, he's going to get a class test Saturday. He's going to meet a different kind of horse than, than he's met. But um, uh, if he, you know, like I say, if he moves forward, uh, that last race is not going to win it. But if he moves forward uh, again, as he has every <coughs> race, uh, I, I think he's got a big shot. And I think he is probably going to offer the best value in the win pool of, of the contenders. Yeah, it was impressive that last time out. And uh yeah, like you said, even the pace factor too. I mean, you know, just looking going through the PPs again, looking at it here. I mean, national treasure, you know, he he was game towards the wire. To me, I I tell you, I thought blazing sevens. I bet blazing sevens. Um, 
I, I thought he was going right by him. I'll be honest with you. I was counting my money in the middle of the stretch. I was like, oh, he's got him. You know, National Treasure is going to finish. But with the blinkers and everything like that, and, and one thing about Bob's horses, I mean, listen, he's he's probably the most controversial person in racing. I mean, people have their takes on him. Oh, I, I could name a thing. couple more. I could name a couple more controversial. But one thing about this guy, I mean, he just knows how to train for these triple crown. I mean, these things are ready to go. You know, some of them will get beat. But in a lot of years, even when his horses had gotten beat in the Derby, like point giving comes to mind. I mean, you know, his horses, he knows how to get them ready for even the next time out. They're even better usually. So he does scare me getting the lead. Um, a horse I really like in here at a price, and I'm really just taking a shot with this. Um, I've said it on here before. I do like to play the sheets on bigger days. I like looking at the numbers when you have really good horses because I, I just think, you know, it's such a slim margin in these races between winning it and, you know, all the horses are so talented. They're usually big money purchases. They're meant to be here. Tappet Shoes is a horse that I kind of like. Brad Cox, he kind of seemed like he liked this horse in the wintertime, gave him a little bit of a break, started him back out at Oakland in that stakes race against Red Route um, one, who's on the outside in this race. But I kind of like the way this horse is coming into here. I, I like that he went to Ortiz. Um, I really like the inside draw. I'm going to be using this horse underneath at a price. He's a Tappet. You know, Tappet's kind of takes some more time to come around. Um, they usually a lot of them they they're very they're not good actors in the barn they're usually very hard to handle uh and they usually take a lot of time to mature and i kind of think maybe this horse can round in form and you know cox kept him at churchill with them working there uh, i i don't know i just i kind of like this horse at a price well, you're you're definitely going to get a price, and I and it it is it. I think it's I think it's a positive that Cox already has two. You know, he he was well represented in the race, so he must think the horse fits. And and tap it as a stallion has a great record in the Belmont, so you know that you know you got a you got a positive on the breeding side. He's all over this Belmont, isn't he, Tappet? He's everywhere in this race. Yeah, I'm not the only guy that's figured that out. Apparently. <laughs> Hey, Mike, uh, switching over to a little bit of the wagering strategy, it, it, is it just me or I, I feel like can, Derby Day is its own thing. You approach it a certain way. Preakness is a certain thing. Uh, we'll leave it at that. And then the Belmonts, to me, much harder, but it's a classier set of races going into the day. I mean, you got some very full fields with it seems like everybody just waits for Belmont day to a certain extent. You're getting those horses that, you know, uh, needed a break or coming off a, a decent layoff and, and they pick Belmont day. Uh, a lot of full fields, some really great race. I mean, the undercard on Saturday, the, the card on Friday is just been phenomenal, honestly. How do you approach a day like this uh, compared to the other days of the Triple Crown, or is there a difference? Oh yeah, there's definitely a difference, and and there's there there's a few things that I do differently, and and one of them I know I've mentioned on your airways is, is before is is just, but it's important, and I'll mention it again. It's just the idea of of start out you know slowly, 
Uh, I don't know how many races they're going to have Friday and Saturday, but in the neighborhood of 12 to 14 races, probably. Uh, so uh, it, you know, you're going to be plenty of opportunity for action and it's easy to get excited on those days and, and uh, you know, get in too deep too early and then be underfunded when your best ideas come up later in the day or when you really start to get a good feel for the way the track's playing and, and uh, you know, you're, you're, you've seen what's happened in the early races and then you're, you've kind of uh, handcuffed yourself as to what you can do. You know, you're, you're either going to have to go over your limit or make a smaller bet. So that's one thing. A another thing is, is there's a lot of opportunity. You know, I don't make many place and show bets, but on Derby Day, Belmont Day, Breeders' Cup weekend, uh, I will I will start out with a X number of, of dollars uh, and dedicate it to a place and show pool. And I'll start that on Friday. And I'll, I'm very cautious about betting it. You know, I'll probably only bet it uh, maybe three times each day or maybe just twice in a day. But, I, you know, roughly five times over the weekend if I can get it through. And I'm just going to do it on things I feel totally like I'd be shocked if this horse didn't run first or second. Or I'd be shocked if this horse didn't hit the board. I might make a show bet. It doesn't always have to be the favorite, but it's just a horse that that is a you know a consistent horse that's not overbet in the spot, that's proven at the distance, that's that the way the track's playing is going to suit his style. Uh, just kind of a bulletproof horse, I call him. And I'll parlay that back, whatever I get back, you know, on the first bet, uh, I'll parlay it back on the second one. And I don't ever move to the wind pool. I just keep it in place and show. And it's amazing sometimes what, you know, you, you know, sometimes I'll find seven bets over the weekend. But if you're, you know, if you get through without, you know, having a miss, uh, you know, lots of times I'll triple my money on, on that bet. And, uh, and you're, you know, you don't take a, a huge amount of risk. And if you're in a group, it's always a fun group bet to move the the decision-making process around to the different people in your group. So that's another thing to think about if, if uh, you know. If uh, you like we'll to. be employing that uh, when we go to Keeneland. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and uh, uh, there are, there's just going to be so much value as compared to a regular day on, especially in, in the, in the vertical pools uh, if you can find, you know, there'll be horses that will be eight or 10 to one that will be very likely to be in the exact or the try, you know, somebody that's, that's had a prep race or somebody that had a bad trip or ran against the bias in their last race. And they're one of the main contenders, but they just don't, you know, they don't catch, uh, the, the kind of play that a favorite or second choice does because they have that little, uh, you know, uh, not their prime race in their last start. You know, they were prepping or, uh, you know, maybe they didn't run the, the right distance or maybe they, you know, didn't have enough pace in that race, whatever. But it just wasn't wasn't their race. And now they're set up, they're in the right spot, they're ready to run their race. When I can find a horse like that at eight or 10 to one on a big day, 
I want to really look through and see if I can come up with some exacta or trifecta ideas and, you know, move a few dollars into those pools and, and, you know, be, uh, don't get locked into the favor with these horses. You know, sometimes you can get, uh, you can get it, it, it tries that'll pay, you know, a thousand, two thousand dollars on those days. There'll be big fields and there'll be competitive fields in a lot of the races. So, uh, you know, those are a few of the things I try to do because you do a lot of dutching with the exacta pools. I've been, I, 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 don't. I know a lot of, I know a lot of people do that and I'm not against it. It's just not something that, that I do. I'm, I'm, uh, um, you know, if, if I like, uh, if my, if my first choice is eight to one and, and my second choice is 20 to one, I'm not going to, you know, play to have, if that exact a hits, I don't want to make the, the same amount I make if my third or fourth choice hits, I want to, you know, I want to crush their soul when that happens. I want to, I want to make a month or make a year, you know, so, cause it doesn't happen very often in racing, Yeah. but uh, it never happens if you don't put yourself in that situation. And, you know, you, you don't, you don't hit those kind of tickets by boxing five horses in my experience you hit those kind of tickets when you when you uh commit yourself to a to a longer price horse that you have sound reasons to like and then you are you know you do a good enough job to hook him up and you get lucky enough that the race comes where your key runs in and then you get another long shot that comes with him and then you, you know, the sky's the limit. You, you're going to, you're going to make up for a lot of bad times when you hit that one. That's you don't have any bad times works. to make up for you, do you, Stu? Hey, look, you know what? <laughs> I'll tell you what, it has <gasps> been, it has been a good, you know, I only play short spurts of the year. Yes. I focus in, it's been a good start to the year. Fantastic. Uh, can't, can't say the same for Rob though. Well, I'm, I'm like Mike. I uh, yeah, I'm I'm playing mostly every day. If I'm I'm playing my Yonkers at night, I'm playing, you know, you, and you I'm really, sneaking a couple bets here and there. How your how your wife hasn't hidden all the credit cards <laughs> is just beyond me. Next time I'm up there, I'll talk to her. She's a saint. She's a saint. You, you, you think? More yeah. news at eleven. <laughs> Rob is a distance horse. He's made for the Belmont. His betting <laughs> is, a, is a mile and a, it's a mile and a half. And Rob has got a lot of horse. He got he's got a double hand load, and he's he's just waiting yeah. waiting to turn into the lane. <laughs> That's I me. Him, I, I bet so dumb at times. I'm exact as I'll do straight instead of box. You know, I'll just do dumb stuff like that because I, I think as a horse player, you're always. You know, you're always trying to come up with your angles and you want to be right, right? Like you always, you want to be the contrarian. I mean, you always want your picks on top. And I get in a way sometimes of, you know, I'll play it straight for 20 or 25. I should just box it for 10. But no, I'm trying to hit the number straight and I get greedy, you know? Hey, we, we all do that. I, I was shaking my head. I don't remember the exact race now, but uh, last week I was shaking my head. I thought, you know, you've been doing this. 50 years basically and you still you know you make some elementary mistake uh once in a while but you know i think that's the nature of playing the horses you're making a thousands of decisions a day in the handicapping part the betting part 
the you know choosing what races to even get into part so you're making so many decisions once in a while you're gonna you're gonna make one you aren't very proud of i, I find it hard if I miss early in the day if i like something and i didn't play it happened to me last saturday or it was last sunday at mom it was last sunday at mom but i liked the horse he was like 17 to 1 and I see, you know, something, I'm just going to wait. You know, it was early in the card. I said, I'm just going to wait till later in the day. And you know what? He gets up on the wire. And I was just like talking to myself for an hour. You know, I'm down in my basement. I got the baseball going. I'm having a couple of drinks, you know. And I'm like, I can't believe you didn't bet it. You know, you said, I'm just, I'm killing myself for not playing him because I, I liked him. But like anything else, you just, you talk yourself off of it. I've been there. <laughs> Well, don't worry. Rob will be there again very soon. Uh, yeah, Saturday. About, yeah, well, I, I'd give it at least 17 hours. but As long as we sweep the Tigers, I'll be there. How dare you? You know what? We, we were having such a nice conversation. What a dirty – You got a Reds person. man here. They're one of the hottest teams in the National League. They got one of the biggest prospects. You got hit a 435-foot home run tonight. No, it's 458. Oh, it's 458? Yeah, it almost went out of Great American Ballpark. It, it hit the top row of the right field. Where did you find him? That <laughs> that guy looks like a created player in a video game. Yeah, he, he looks good. I, I actually got <laughs> I'm cheating a little bit because I have it on here behind you. So, uh, uh, you know, the Reds just uh, took down the Dodgers. So, good night. Good night for the home team. Hey, I'll tell you what, if you could ever get that pitching, oh my God. I mean, it is like Katie bar the door. Do the do the guys in the bullpen just come out with kerosene and just light <laughs> you know, spray you know, that we, down? We, yeah, but some that's the problem is a lot of them do. We we actually have a good closer. But you know, the if the starter doesn't doesn't go seven, uh it the the, the trying to get to the closer is our issue. Jeez. They have a fun little team. Now, I tell you what, I, I've been watching them a little bit as far as gambling. I like to keep my eye on them. I like playing their overs. Their lineup is fun, man. They got some players in there. I mean, they hit the baseball. They're entertaining. Like you said, they're they're on their way up the Reds. Yeah, and and if you're playing those numbers, I mean, that's your game and not mine. But I imagine there's some there's some bad comps you're going against that are, uh, you know, the numbers are probably in your favor right now if you're betting them to, to score runs. Oh, uh, no, they're, they're, they're never in my favorite betting. Betting baseball, I will text Stu during the day I just quit. the most horrific things about playing baseball. I, because I quit. These it Vegas is. lines are just – even I was listening to a Vegas show the other day, and the guy's like, you know, I'm, I'm a pro – the guy's like, I'm a pro sports better. And he's like, baseball just breaks me down to like – I mean, <laughs> Vegas gets these numbers, these totals, these – I mean, they are so razor sharp. It is It is amazing. I don't ever want to say it's fixed, but like the way they set these lines, it's just, it's incredible. That That's what Laurel Park does to me. <laughs> oh, same here. Same here. Laurel Park just puts me in the Cobra Clutch. Shout out to the RIP Sheiky. The Iron Sheik passed today. So we got a, we got a, yeah, just absolute camel clutch tapping out. I, I can't, I, I won't do Maryland. I'll take friends up there. I'll bet Naira <laughs> when I'm at the track and you guys have fun. I can't do it. It's um, a tough track. 
It's tough. And what's even tougher is we're at the end of our show. Mike has to go look at uh, the first race at Hawthorne. He's in for a night. Uh, electric, electric card tomorrow at Hawthorne. Um, so that'll do it for us. Thank you to Mike Maloney, David Aragona, Nick Tamrow. And join us next week. We'll probably end up talking baseball or something fun. So stay tuned. Until then, take care, brush your hair, and we'll see you after a while.